Today, we have a very special guest joining us, Stephen Flood. Stephen is the CEO of Goldcore, one of the oldest gold and silver dealers in the market today. They've turned over $1 billion in transactions, and they manage $300 million in assets for their clients. After Stephen received his degree at Portobello Business College in Dublin, Ireland, he began his career in finance. He held financial and trading positions in New York City before joining Goldman Sachs as a sales trader in equity derivatives. When he returned to Ireland to put his experience in trading risk and financial markets at Goldman to good use, his entrepreneurial drive led him to establish his own financial services firm at Goldcore, where they advise clients on gold and silver purchasing and storage. Thanks again for joining us on The Rocks. If you like what you hear and want to catch past conversations, please be sure to subscribe. Now let's dive in. Well, Stephen, thank you so much for joining us on The Racks today. I know I'm actually drinking Baileys and coffee because it's 10 a.m. here where I'm taping. How about you? What are you drinking today? I'm joining you in Baileys as well. It's a nice drink. And given that I'm recording this from Ireland, I think it's appropriate. Ching to you. Cheers. Cheers. I'm drinking hot Baileys. You're drinking cold, even though I guess I could have done, I should have done iced coffee being in Florida. As you and I have chatted about before, when COVID started to hit in particular, all of my buddies who are in the military or, or maybe just out of the military started to ping me because as a, as a mining person, they wanted to know where they should buy physical gold, right? <laughs> and it was like, you know, all of a sudden, all these inquiries about, you know, I'm seeing these websites on the TV. Should I buy from that? Is there, a, you know, somewhere else I should look to buy physical gold? And certainly I understood the impulse to want to invest in physical metal with with what was going on at the time. But can you kind of walk us through, is that a good idea, a bad idea? What should people be thinking about buying physical gold? It's a great idea. A lot of people in the investment community would agree with it as something that you should own as part of your diversified portfolio. So that's a big term. But basically what it means is not keeping all your eggs in one basket, having a little bit of gold in there, it underpins the rest of your assets. You might, you might have a bit of some stock. You might have property, bonds. And what's interesting about today's world is it's very global. So the things that happen in far off places can affect us far faster than they have, they ever could have before. So, you know, a, a major economic situation in China could affect imports into the United States, could affect your job, your community. So therefore, having something like gold is what we call a form of financial insurance. So it really comes into its own when things get a bit crazy in ways that are unexpected or what are called black swans, something that's statistically improbable, unlikely. But if it does happen, it's going to be very eventful and impactful. So people buy gold because it's very, very rare. You could put all the gold in the world into a 22 meter cube. So the size of two houses, it would fit on a tennis court. It's very, very rare. As a form of money, it's been there throughout time. It can't be printed. It can't be destroyed. It's actually indestructible, believe it or not. And uh, as a form of money, it's accepted throughout the world. So it's a perfect store of value. Having a little bit at home, having it stored in a vault and as part of a diversified portfolio, it just makes all the sense in the world. And is there a like a percentage of your portfolio that is something folks should consider? There's an old Wall Street adage that says, put 10% of your money into gold and hope it does not work. If it's 10%, then it's not 90%, which is another kind of productive assets like stocks and whatnot, or pay dividends. 
But if that 10% starts to go up in value, those factors are pushing the other 90% down. That's actually okay because you're, you're never going to go to zero. You're always going to have something in the kitty. Gold is never going to go to zero, but stocks could go to zero. So your portfolio could be wiped out all but for its gold, and that will keep you sane and you know that you're not going to get completely wiped out. And that's actually a really important psychological benefit to those who have a bit of gold. They know that there's, there's no zero in their portfolio. Oh, so that's interesting. So looking at it really as a as an insurance almost, as you said, as opposed to I'm going to buy this gold because prices are going to go, you know, to 10,000, 15,000 an ounce. Like it's not necessarily about the future value of gold in a way to make you a profit, but to to mitigate the risk to your portfolio. Yeah, there's a lot of people out there who look at gold as as a speculative investment. There's nothing wrong with that, but it ultimately it's about financial insurance and it tends to track inflation. And in times of uncertainty, it really goes up in value. So like it's, it's beginning to rise now. It also is, re- it's, it's uh, something that you could compare against the amount of money that's being printed. So the debasement of currencies like the dollar and the euro and, and all the currencies in the world are being debased by governments are printing money and gold is reacting to that. So, you know, it, it's actually over the last, I think it's 10 or 12 years in almost every currency in the world, it's appreciated by on average by about nine to 12% each year and which is incredible like so in indian rupee it's gone up between nine and twelve percent euros nine and twelve percent british pounds now not all at the same time but what that tells you is all these governments are printing money which is i would argue stealing from people who have paid taxes on their savings like they're, they're debasing people's savings and gold has reacted to that so it's it's doing exactly what it should do yeah and the, what i hear most frequently is that gold is a hedge against inflation just as a, in general what should people look at when they're evaluating different ways to buy physical gold? Again, I always say, I was just kind of joking with you before we got on that, like, I wouldn't necessarily buy gold from the commercial that comes on right after the My Pillow guy on TV. I would not feel comfortable buying gold from a telecommercial, but I'm sure there's better guidance than that. We're 18 years old and we traded over a billion dollars in, in transactions. Every single order we do, we ask our clients to give us a rating out of five stars. And, and, and those ratings and those comments go up on our website. We don't have any control over it. It's independent. And we're 4.9 out of five. We've learned an awful lot of the ways to buy gold and the ways not to. There's a lot of good companies out there, but there's an awful lot of ones that you need to avoid. And typically the guys who are on the TV or doing expensive ads, you want to be careful because what they do is they bring you in on something that sounds too good to be true. And then the salesperson who's a commission-based salesperson will switch you over into another product on the basis of something special about it, or there's some scenario where it does really, really well. And they're very skilled at what they do. And those products typically are very expensive, far more expensive than they tell you. So I don't think you should be buying rare coins or those special products unless you know what you're about. What we've done is we've actually put that 18 years of experience that we have into a guide, which people can download for free. And there's no cheesy sales side to it at all. It's all very, very legitimate. And you can go to the website. It's not the goldcore.com website, but it's actually goldintheusa.com. Uh, or you can come to Goldcore as well. We, we offer uh, you know storage and, and delivery of gold and vaults all around the world. We're very specialized in what we do. and We've been around for a very long time. That's so helpful because when people are interested in it because they agree with that philosophy, right, then you have to really start to understand how you execute it. 
And and that can be challenging. And I'm sure for some folks, if they've had a, a negative experience, perhaps they may think the whole industry is like that, right? With that being said, like one thing that I found really interesting about what you all do is you allow people to, they can go to the vault where their gold is stored, right? Which I thought would have been like a normal thing. Like if you're going to buy physical gold, you would either want it in your home or you would want the ability to go see it. But that's also not the standard, right? I mean, there that's something a bit unique about how you guys operate. Yeah, well, you can do both. I mean, like a lot of our clients will have some at home and that's kind of there for the zombie apocalypse type scenario where the ATM machines stop working and they're like, how am I going to pay for food for my kids? And they might they have a few gold coins or silver coins sitting at home somewhere. The rationale is like, if something really bad happens, like the, the banking system gets hacked and the system falls over for, you know, maybe a week or two, you could go to your local store, the guy knows you, you could put an ounce of gold on the countertop, and you say right there, there's a $1,800 worth of gold, sir, give me credit, you know, my money's good. That kind of works. In my mind, it works. It's something like you can, it's very unlikely to happen. But it's nice to know you can just put your hand on something that's real money, and make that happen for your family. But for most people, they're storing gold as part of a portfolio. So they made 10% of their portfolio, they might have a million dollars in their pension, they put 100,000 into gold, they don't want $100,000 worth of gold sitting in their home. So they put it in safe, secure storage. And in that case, we store that gold. And we have, I say we have vaults in New York, Utah, Texas, but our most popular vault is actually in Zurich, in Switzerland. Uh, as you can imagine, it is really, really high security. And it's in the middle of the Alps. And, you know, you just can't rob it. It's like, it's very, very secure. It's they're everybody's banker, by the way. So every war, both sides, they both bank in Switzerland, you know, so nobody invades Switzerland. It's the safest place, place I would think on earth. And so you have your goal there. But what we do, and this is almost unique in the industry, nobody does this, we store on a segregated and allocated basis. So if you come in and you put your 100,000 in gold, we'll put it on a shelf, it's in a bar, it has a serial number, and we'll separate that bar from everybody else's gold as well. So it's actually separated out in a different receptacle. If something happens to Gold Core, your gold is sitting there ready to be dispatched to you if you ever want it, or move to another dealer. And you can then go into, you can look at it all on Gold Core's website, you can see your uh, profit and loss statements and buy and sell whenever you want. You can access the vaulting company system independent of Gold Core. And they'll show you 24-7 that your bar, your serial number, your account number is all there intact and recorded. It's incredibly safe and secure, and there's very few middlemen, if any. And it's not on our balance sheet as well, which is really important. It's, it's your gold. It's like having a car and parking it in our car garage. Yeah, so you help the person buy the car, you park it for them, and then you charge them a parking fee. Yeah, it's fully insured through Lloyds of London. We have uh, independent auditors who go in and, and they do a bar count and they look at our records and the vaults records and they look at the records that they create by looking at what's on the shelf and they do a three-way reconciliation and we send that to every single storage customer. So, I mean, as far as I'm concerned, and again, 18 years in the business, I don't think there's any storage uh, service that comes anywhere close to how we do it. Are you still planning on putting little cameras yeah, so it's on our development schedule. So we're we're hoping to build an app where you can actually go in and actually see your gold real time with a camera. A little bit cheesy, but you know what? It's cool. You know, for people who want to see that, I think you got to make technology work for you. So that's a, that's the way we look at it. So with all that being said, I think a lot of folks that are maybe new to the mining industry, they think of what you do as being part of the industry, right? Like, I mean. They almost think of like a, a mining company as a company that sells gold. And that's true in a way, but you all fit 
in a different part of the industry than maybe most of the folks that come on the podcast. So could you kind of explain, like, how do you all fit in that ecosystem within the larger mining and metals industry? Yeah. So basically, we, I suppose we're, we're an almost end customer. The mining industry, in particular in precious metals, is represented in large part by the World Gold Council. And that's an industry group who of mining companies. They put a lot of their marketing dollars into the World Gold Council. And the World Gold Council then promotes gold as, and its use cases, in particular investment and jewelry as well. So on the investment side, they would, they would work with us and we would uh, work with them in terms of their research, which is really, really good. They're, they're a superb organization and they, they make a great case for gold and they, they talk to investors all around the world and, and different things. And they also brought out, I think, one of the first were, uh, gold ETFs, exchange traded funds, which is one of the largest ETFs in the marketplace now. And that was have, that had a huge effect on the gold market and making it easy for people to buy it. We would argue, though, the ETF is good for people who want to speculate on gold, but people who want to invest in it for systemic risk purposes, i.e. zombie apocalypse and all those sort of things, they need to own the real physical thing on a shelf. So who would you buy gold from? We buy gold from refiners and mints who are members of the LBMA, that's the London Bullion Market Association, and they're kind of a de facto regulator. They would oversee the standards of refiners and what the bars and, and products that they produce, making sure that they're one, to a very, very high quality, and two, that they're done ethically too, that they source the raw materials ethically from ethical in ethical supply chains. Done a huge amount of work there. And they also overlook the market, the actual market exchange mechanism for the trading of gold and silver and platinum from London. So they work with the bullion banks, refiners, mints, and vaulting companies. So the, the, the entire value chain there. We would only buy from refiners who are members of that organization. And what that means is that the product that we sell and we stand over with our, pro- our customers is of the highest possible quality. And uh, there are people who operate outside of that ecosystem in other parts of the world, but we find that we have to stand over what we have, what we sell. So we only deal with LBMA approved refiners and mints. So that would be something for folks to look at as they're evaluating different options, like a, a group that buys through the LBMA. You're not going to pick something up on the cheap. You're going to you're going to be paying a market price, but that market price should be indicative of a quality product. And it means the resale product is also very, very trustworthy. So everything in our vaults, we have about, I think, about 300 million in assets stored for our clients. All of that product will be under the guise of the LBMA in terms of the product or the institution where it's stored. So explain to me a little bit, what does that mean, the quality of physical gold? Because I think most people would expect all gold bars are alike or all gold coins are alike. No, they're not all alike. Uh, They have different uh, fineness and different purities, and they are produced in different ways. So you don't want to have an impure product. You want to have something that's refined to a high degree. So most of the gold we have is probably three nines and four nines in terms of its fineness. It's almost pure. It's quite expensive to get a product to a very, very high degree of fineness. And so there's quite a lot of uh, very advanced technological processes involved. You know, only the best refiners can really do this. Energy intensive as well. It's consistent too. So if I go and buy a a bar of gold from Argor Horaeus, you know, I know that that kilo bar I bought last year is going to be the same quality of the kilo bar I buy this year. There'd be very, very little in the difference. It's important to have that consistency too. And those processes are 
audited by the LBMA to ensure that those refiners are operating to a, to a consistent and high standard. And they, they get audited every single year to make sure that that, that, that happens. In the same way that diamonds or gemstones would have different qualities and, you know, the little certificate that tells you the quality of the gem that yeah. you with your different products can talk to or they would be able to see the quality of the gold that they're buying. Yeah, absolutely. There's also one other aspect that's increasingly important, which is ESG, environmental and social governance. You probably heard this term. So increasingly investors and people in the supply chain want to know that the product that they're buying is ethically sourced, has been, isn't taking advantage of people and communities, and it's not detrimental to the environment. A lot of the money that supports the industry is increasingly only being allocated on the basis of ESG credentials. So I know the gold industry from the World Gold Council and the LBMA have done a huge amount of work into bringing about improving those credentials for all of the participants in the industry. So that's flowing downstream and all the way to mines. And and I think that's going to be really important going forward that, you know, people need to know that when they invest in gold, that that supply chain is is secure, is being operated to a, to a standard that's acceptable. This may have a, a knock-on consequences for poor locations and poorer countries and artisanal miners and, and the like where their their product is doesn't really meet the standard in terms of its sourcing. Um, And on the flip side of that, I think that's an area where some of the technologies I see coming out, especially out of the track and trace with blockchain, for example, right, that previously were applied to conflict minerals like gold in, in certain jurisdictions, but more commonly, you know, cobalt and diamonds. You know, if there are good mining companies or good miners in more risky jurisdictions who can demonstrate that they are meeting those standards that people maybe wouldn't expect in that jurisdiction, that having those standards might pull those folks out of kind of the perceived risk of some of the countries that really gold is is still coming out of. Ultimately, it's a, it's a capital upfront cost. You're going to hopefully command a premium for your product. You'll be able to command a higher price because it comes with the correct documentation and reporting. It's also a better quality product in terms of for, for the world and the people who are involved with all the stakeholders you know, the people of that country and the community. Nobody wants to buy a product if it's going to be at the expense of, of local indigenous people. The time and the era where, you know, irresponsible mining, you know, can be hidden, I think that's coming to an end. And those people associated with those practices hopefully will be driven out of the industry and replaced with professional, ethical and responsible uh, miners who source correctly. Then that product will fetch a premium and find its market, find a much bigger market. So do you see that then from from your customer base that people, they ask about that, they want that, and they're willing to pay a little bit more for gold that, that comes with that kind of verification? I think there's a kind of an assumption that the quality of the product we provide being LBMA quality and approved refiners, there's an assumption that those checks and balances are there and enforced. People rely upon that association. It's And most people don't buy gold. For every 100 people that are out there, maybe five people might actually buy gold. So it's very much a, a fringe activity. It'll be much more mainstream in the future, I think. But for now, it's very, very fringe. And those people would rely upon the industry to ensure that things are, are mined ethically. But as the market for gold grows, and I absolutely believe it will, especially with the more money printing that's going on, those new people coming into the market, maybe millennials, who come in and uh, start buying gold, they'll be asking those questions. So I think the market of tomorrow 
will very much uh, ask those questions. And the LBMA and the World Gold Council are very much behind that. And they're, they're getting their ducks in a row and their documentation and their processes and procedures are evolving all the time and, and improving. So I think it's going to be very important for the future of gold. But not today, it's not quite there. There's, there's still a reliance on the industry standards. Yeah, because I, I think it's an interesting um, dynamic where there's a lot of discussion within the exploration and mining industry about ESG at the mining level, right? And certainly with, especially with every time BlackRock comes out with a new letter, right, that they are doing ESG investing, right? They will not invest in companies that aren't implementing good ethical standards. It kind of reinforces that within the industry that that we can't afford not to do that. Part of this whole conversation around people being worried about cobalt mined in the Congo by little children, but by the time it gets into their iPhone, they're disconnected from the fact of how do you determine the goods you buy are coming from a mine that's doing it responsibly. And I, I like you said, I, I think the conversations there, the interest is there. It's not necessarily there at the consumer level yet, right, of the end product. Yeah, I've been involved in financial technology for a very long time. And my own personal belief is that blockchain as a ledger technology will actually be transformative for complex supply chains such as the mining industry. And I do think that those ledgers will be dynamic and well able to manage and enforce the standards from the mine all the way to through to end product and equip the end consumer with some sort of ESG score or ethical score that they can rely upon, see and rely upon when they're making a choice of products. So I do think that time is coming very, very quickly. No, and I, I would agree. And I think you see that even at the corporate level with companies like Tesla and Samsung and others investing directly into mining companies, right? Or, or signing very strategic agreements directly with the mining company, whereas before they would have bought through traders, Right. And they would not have been involved in conditions at the mine site or, or anything really about the production of the mineral or metal. And now they want to be able to say to their shareholders, no, what, you know, the lithium going into my Tesla <laughs> came from a place that that we're all comfortable with in terms of how that mine would run. Yeah, there's a kind of vertical integration going on. And it's been driven not by economics alone, but by ethical requirements, too. You know, so it's exactly right. I would love to see at some point, and maybe it exists and I'm not aware of it, but I know for me, whenever I travel and start to work in a new country, I buy gemstones, right? And I, I buy and have jewelry made from, from gemstones in the country that I'm working. And that's kind of my very expensive souvenir habit. My husband loves it. Uh, <laughs> and I always ask, you know, for them, if, if it's a country where they have gold or silver to have the gems done in metal from that country as well, because I just think it's a cool thing, right? And I'm surprised that there isn't more of that, like the ability to say, you know, the gold in this ring or bracelet or whatever it might be came from this mine in Mexico or this mine in Peru, right? Almost that like fair trade coffee, you know, when it became everybody all of a sudden knew exactly what coffee farm <laughs> their cup of coffee came from that morning. I wonder if it'll ever get to that point. Yeah, yeah. No, I do. I do think it's going to, it's, it's coming. It's just a matter of time. We are, we're undergoing a transformation in terms of uh, technology and information and data sharing. I mean, many people don't realize, but the protocols that we operate under, like, you know, Word documents and spreadsheets and stuff like that, they're all based on characters on a page, which is technology from the banks of the Nile, you know, 4,000 years ago. Uh, we just get, we're just fancy with computers, but it's the same protocol. You know, we're repeating information and sharing it verbally. But now all that changes with blockchain. And I think it's really exciting, you know. 
Yeah. And I just, and someone was telling me too, that just had a conversation with another guest about NFTs for gold bars. My team knows, like I struggle just conceptually to think about paying money for a digital file, probably like you said, because it's like the legacy thinking, but she was explaining that they do essentially a scan of the gold bar and you know exactly that gold bar and you can then trade the NFT the same way you would sell a bar, which I'm like, why don't you just sell the bar then? But <laughs> but I'm sure there's a reason, but it's it's evolving so quickly. Yeah. If you look at the, our reliance on the digital infrastructure too, it's not always secure. You don't want to be reliant on one company and the terms by which they deal with you and suddenly you have to pay a subscription to be able to transact your own assets. There's a, there's, a, there's a long way to go before this becomes consumer friendly. And if you look at the way the Internet's developed over the last 20 odd years, it's, the, it's empowered the few. And you have some gigantic companies that own the mono, have monopolistic powers over the Internet and everything we do. So I, I don't think that's the answer either. So it's, uh, it's, it, it's an interesting one. I still travel with, in my case, jewelry. Right. And in the situation where I, you know, I've worked in some countries that are relatively unstable and where you do have to think about what would I do if I had to get myself out of a situation or get out quickly. And that's why a lot of special operations guys and, you know, folks that work all over the world, they wear really nice watches. Right. That's one side benefit. And why I people are like, I can't believe you take jewelry with you to these countries like nice jewelry. And I'm like, well, <laughs> I have to get out of jail, you know. <laughs> Just kidding. Just kidding. But every country I've ever worked, there's some aspect of gold exchange at critical milestones in people's lives, right? I mean, all over the world, gold is still used essentially as a dowry or as a gift um, of tremendous value. And I don't see that changing at all. Not in a million years. It's so funny. You see these guys talking about cryptocurrencies and Bitcoin and they absolutely and utterly miss the point. They have no idea what they're talking about. You know, digital currencies and Bitcoin are not a replacement for gold. Gold is not designed to be a quick transaction medium. It's a physical thing that sits there and gathers dust. It's it's valuable because it's rare. You know, as I say, you know, I told you before, it's, it's it's very little gold in the world. But if you think about it, my son, who is 16, and when he's my age, 49, there was going to be 40% more people in the world, more mouths to feed, the same air mass to breathe from. If you don't think something like a tangible form of money isn't going to be more valuable in that time frame, well, I think you know you need to reevaluate you know what you know because it will. I mean, I I don't can't say it's guaranteed, but it, it just makes common sense to me. And I think that's where sometimes people think about the use of crypto or or just currency in general in their own local context. And it, it can be really effective in that way. But if you look globally, what's accepted globally, you really have a lot fewer options, right? And that's where I think the rarity, but the acceptability of gold worldwide, I agree. I don't think it's going to go away anytime soon. I can't imagine really what would replace it. Central banks and countries buy gold. Well, why would they on earth would they buy gold? There's always a chance that this international global marketplace becomes unhinged and risks permeate. So they need to have a, a form of insurance. Ultimately, when you own gold and it's in your pocket, let's say, or in a vault, it gives you what, what we call personal sovereignty. So individual personal sovereignty. You're outside of the system. You're not reliant on a bank, your mobile phone. If your phone goes dead, 
you could you still have something to transact and to get you across the border like your jewelry might do so if that personal sovereignty is exactly the motivation why you have the, those uh, items of jewelry it's it's the reason why investors have gold and i think 10% in gold is an absolute must people should have that at any price i don't care what the price of gold is you need to have gold at any price to get to that 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 amount and then you can choose if you want to have more in times of uncertainty or whatever your personal circumstances. I have clients who have, you know, I think statistically three to 4% makes sense. Those, those research reports from investment research houses that say three to 4% makes a lot of, lot of sense. Ray Dalio, probably the most, one of the most famous investors in the world. I think his, his all weather portfolio has 7% in gold. You know, it's incredible. And, and other people, my, my clients and my clients have, you know, 20, 30, 40, 50% in gold, but they tend to be a bit more retired. And they know how much money they need to retire. So you know what? They just say that I'd rather have my money there safe and know it's not going to get devalued and printed by some reckless politician or central banker and know that I can, I can sell it and raise money to, to pay my bills. You know, this might be a little bit of a historical rabbit hole, but why is gold gold? Like what, what led gold to become the metal that everybody kind of agrees on can, can be used this way? How did that all happen? Go back thousands of years ago, you know, you would have had the creation of currencies for the first time and money. And that was, you know, obviously moving from barter to some sort of organized economic model. And it allowed people to buy something or sell something and receive in in exchange a credit to be used in that economic community. Before that, like if I made, you know, farm tools and you raise chickens, uh, the only time we would transact is when I actually needed a farm tool and you needed a chicken. And that may never happen very often. But if there was a money in between, it allowed people to consistently trade and get credits. And those credits became currency. And they may have been beads. They may have been, you know, foodstuffs, spices. But gold became a very enduring form of, cur- of money that couldn't be destroyed. It didn't rot. Didn't, it didn't melt. So it, it was the perfect form, format for money and people could hold it. And that's why today, you know, you hear, if you look in, you know, the, the news, you, you, you find gold coins from thousands of years ago being unearthed and they look just as perfect today as they did then. I mean, that's incredible when you think about it. The amount of generations have passed. There's nothing that we're building today that's going to be around in 3000 years. I can, I can almost guarantee. I bet you, I bet you something, you know, you never collect on it, but it's true. I mean, like, look at, look at the, the way we build. We build for things to rot and fall apart within, you know, years. Well, and I think that's where, for me, gold is emotional in many ways. People in, invest in and buy gold for, for reasons that aren't 100% rational because it is, to a certain extent, a bit of a, like you said, I mean, it has industrial purposes, but it's the fact that it's immutable, right? And kind of that, that unchangeability. And, and I always think about living in South Florida, the shipwrecks. But I think it's fascinating how globally we kind of all agree gold will work. <laughs> Everyone will take it. Every possible conceivable community and, and culture, they've all accepted gold. I mean, that's, and even though they may not speak the same language, they speak the language of gold. Um, no matter, and the government and the, and the central bankers never want you to realize this. They want you to use their paper and digital monies because that gives them political power. When you have gold, you take that power back and you own it and you're personally sovereign. From a mining investor standpoint, kind of the way I think about it is, you know, I, of course, love exploration companies. I love mining companies. And I think they're a great opportunity for investors to get in on a discount, essentially, from from physical gold. But in that way, buying physical gold, you are completely de-risking your mining investment. There, There's a whole spectrum there of how much risk you want. Is that accurate to kind of think of it that way? 
Yeah, I mean, I think so. I mean, when you if you're if you're in a mining company, now you're more of an expert on mining than I am. But if you're if you own a mine and you own an asset, and that asset has a proven reserve of gold, you're always going to find a market for that. The only thing that can that could probably derail you is if the cost of energy was to go up so high it made it too expensive relative to the price of gold to extract. But if you can manage that type of risk, and there's strategies to do that, you know, forward sell and hedging what you have. You, you are exposed to gold. You have a positive exposure to gold that way, which I would argue is going to be very much in demand and is, is, uh, is only going to grow the demand for something like that. Yeah. Folks that are interested in mining, I, I find, you know, gold is something that everybody understands. And if you're looking for a way to get into the sector, again, it's something very relatable that people can understand that whole spectrum, right? From early stage exploration, everyone has that picture of the 1800s gold rush, like everyone kind of knows what gold looks like in rocks in a, in a simple form, right? In a in a load or a vein deposit, going all the way through to the end customer. You understand why people would buy gold, what they do with it, right? Whereas there are a lot of other minerals and metals that are complicated. So it's a great starter mineral and metal for folks to, to get into and get excited about. Absolutely. You know, if you're going to invest in a gold mining company, you know, you want to very much understand the management team and their capabilities and their skill sets. You know, that you're getting to more active investing then, and you need to understand their ability to extract value from the asset that they have and prove that that asset is what they say it is. You know, my understanding is that there's quite a lot of people who will sell on the basis of potential that may, not, may, may need to be verified, and you have to be very careful about that. Yeah, and I think a lot of what you share today is helpful for people even investing on the exploration and the mining side, right? Because understanding where the gold will end up as it works towards the consumer is really important. Are these things that a, you know, who would this mining, first of all, is this exploration or mining company going to actually mine gold, right? Because a lot of them don't, they're, they're doing exploration in order to sell it, that property to a larger company that will then develop. So where does that company fit in the development spectrum. And then if they are going to mine, who are they going to sell to? And what does that relationship look like? And what are the potential pitfalls between the traders and the miners? And there's a lot to understand in that space as well. And and what will they sell? Because a lot of folks don't understand that a mine doesn't produce gold bars, right? <laughs> or most of them don't. It's they're gonna, gonna manu- you know, they're gonna sell a concentrate or a dore bar that will go to a refinery, right? So these are all things that I think are really helpful for people to understand about the whole process, not just the first few steps. Yeah, very important. And uh, do your homework. And I think re- the business relationships, I mean, we deal with a lot of refiners and we're on the other side of, we're not on the mine side, but we're on the other side. And there's some really, really superb outfits out there. You know, they've been in business for a long, long time. They're very ethical, very well run. And I think they, they, they would make good partnerships. You know, but you want to be careful who you choose to partner up with you know, if you deliver on what you say you're going to deliver, they will, th- those relationships will, will do really, really well. And you can build your business on the back of them. And we rely on, on, on key relationships. And, and I think that's, that's how you build a business. You know, our clients get a consistent level of supply and performance from us. Absolutely. Well, I've been asking all of our guests lately uh, to, to share if you could wave a magic wand over the mining industry or maybe the mining and metals industry at large for you, what's one thing you would just change tomorrow? 
Well, from my perspective, and I realize I, I'm not au fait with the capital and the intense capital requirements of running a mine and the, the, the difficulty of doing it because it's not easy, I would expect. Mining companies need to be very, very uh, acutely aware of the impact of their activities on indigenous people and communities and the environment. And this is not just kind of hippie, tree-hugging type rhetoric. This is going to define your ability to sell your product and deliver it and who's going to buy it from you and on what terms. The market, you always want to sell any product and service to the widest possible market and have the credentials to do so. And I think if they if they ignore indigenous people, like is happening in Brazil right now and in places in Africa, you're going to find that your product is and your, your asset is, is marked down. Your credentials are marked down. So I think if there's one mad thing I could wave would be that that these companies don't just have policies that are written and put away in a filing, that they have living documents that espouse the way they want to carry out business and they look after those indigenous people and they respect them and they respect the environment. I think they'll prosper as a result. Well, cheers to that. I agree with with every point. I would love to see that tomorrow as well. So thank you for taking the time to hang out with me and I look forward to having you back on sometime soon and being able to dial into that camera to see the gold bars. I'm, I'm excited. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. And listen, thanks so much. It was great to have a drink with you, uh, Bailey's uh, Irish Cream. And uh, we'll, we'll talk again soon. Awesome. Thank you to our guest and my colleague, Stephen Flood, for joining us on this episode of On the Rocks. To learn more about Stephen and his work, visit him on LinkedIn and on the web at goldcore.com. For more insights on new mining projects, mining news, and more, go to our website at prospectorportal.com and subscribe to our weekly newsletter, The Nugget. Thanks for joining us on The Rocks. If you enjoyed the episode, click the subscribe button and please leave a review. Until next time, keep your glasses full and your ice cold. Cheers.